We are very honored to have with us this morning, Joe Sacco, who is, uh, uh, I want to say, a historian as well as an artist who has, has made some incredible works that have really illustrated some of this era's largest and ongoing conflicts, including Palestine and the Bosnian War. And uh, I wonder if you could maybe talk about Palestine, the book that came out in the early 90s and shaped a lot of us who were activists who started to uh, to really get involved in this issue. I know in the second intifada, many of us who went there uh, as part of the international solidarity movement and other nonviolent movements read your book and shared it around. And I wonder if you could just talk first about the book Palestine. Palestine was a book I... Um... I, I did, as as you mentioned, uh, it was in the early 1990s. It was during the first Intifada. I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing when I went there. I thought of it as a sort of an autobiographical book, but uh, I had a degree in journalism and I'd never found a job as a journalist. So I think that uh, journalistic instinct sort of kicked in while I was there. And I started documenting uh not just casually, but more in a more sort of um, research kind of fashion, a more sort of archival sort of fashion, what I was seeing and what I was hearing, uh, doing interviews, taking notes, uh, trying to understand how Palestinians were living uh, under the occupation. Um, that book was uh, actually, it started out as a comic book series. It was nine comic books that came out periodically. They sold incredibly poorly. And finally, it was collected into a book. And uh, that's probably what you saw. Uh, that book came out, I guess, uh, 2000, 2001, something like that. Yeah. And what were some of the things that you saw and experienced and documented in that book? Well, it was many different sorts of things. I mean, um, the the amount of Palestinians I met, young men who'd been to prison, that 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 story just kept coming up over and over again. So I tried to document something of that, something about the torture of Palestinians, what, what the Israelis were calling at the time moderate pressure. Um, I was documenting things like home demolitions, the cutting down of olive trees, and many other facets of the occupation that really showed um to me and i hope to the reader the amount of humiliation and degradation that was visited upon the palestinian people it was very difficult for them going through checkpoints uh basically to be humiliated by israeli soldiers so it, there was a lot about their their dignity i think too and their sense of dignity which i think is uh one of the <laughs> really important uh, things that people try to hold on to, even under the worst uh, of circumstances. Yeah. And after uh, after that book, um, Palestine, I know when I was in Palestine, uh, another activist shared with me Safe Area Garage, where you went to document the Bosnian War. And uh, I wonder if you could talk about that. And maybe there are comparisons that you saw uh, between what happened in Bosnia, the, the bombing, uh, especially, and the aftermath of the bombings, uh, and and what we're seeing now in Gaza with the, with just the, the horrific destruction of uh, 
well, I think 80% of the infrastructure in Gaza at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, the contrast between the first time I, I was in Palestine and I thought the level of violence was, it was, you know, there, there was a definitely a level of violence. You felt it all around you. But, uh, uh, you know, the Bosnian war was, of course, another, another, uh, uh, you're climbing up the ladder of, of, of violent events, basically. And of course, now what's going on in Gaza um, is something that uh, it's, it's almost hard to comprehend. So what what I've seen in particular, if we're, we're talking about the Palestinian situation uh, between my first and second visit was a ratcheting up of violence. And my second visit was during the second intifada. So the era of stones and bullets started was starting to seem quite quaint in a, in a certain way, because by that point, by the early 2000s, uh, jets were dropping bombs, tanks were making incursions. There were suicide bombings in discotheques and pizzerias. Um, and that seemed like, uh, a, a, you know, a scale of violence that was was hard to um, sort of imagine. But like I said, I mean, now now we see what, what you can you can keep ratcheting, ratcheting up the violence. It seems almost uh never ending this unconscionable ongoing bombing uh and what i wanted to ask you about uh more is your trip to gaza and your writing uh footnotes in gaza which i found very compelling in that you're talking about not the nakba not the 67 war but an almost forgotten incident and you're trying to document it and talking to these Palestinian elders who remembered it. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that process and what you found out when you went to Gaza to do that research. Uh, the, the origin of that story was a, a magazine piece I did with uh, Chris Hedges, uh, the journalist, um, and now I, I would say a dissident. Um, we went and we wrote about Han Yunus. The town of Han Yunus, which is is in the news today, and the part we wrote, the historical part was was taken out. This part about what happened in Han Yunus in 1956 was taken out, and so I made it my mission to go back to Han Yunus and also to Rafa and document uh, the the wide scale atrocities committed by the Israeli army when uh, during the 1956 uh, Suez Canal uh, crisis, um, and I think. Those stories were important, and they are important, and like you say, basically almost forgotten. But they're important uh, to understand, understand to understand what's going on now, and that this that the violence we're seeing today is is was was uh, was reflected or is reflected back in in history, and those. You know, the Palestinians have endured a great deal. 1948 uh, in Gaza, for example, refugees flooded the Strip, the Gaza Strip. Um, they lived under awful conditions. In 1956, there were the massacres that I documented. And you can talk about what happened in 67. You can talk about the attacks on Gaza throughout the 2000s and what's going on today. And 
as someone told me there, events are continuous. It's like um, history is always happening in the Gaza Strip. People can barely reflect on the past because it's ongoing. But I think the past, it's essential to show the past because you, you begin to understand that this is not something that just happened in Gaza. It's something that's been going on continually since 1948. And, you know, when I was there with Chris Hedges, we interviewed um, one of the the main figures in Hamas. His name was Elran Tisi. And he was later uh, assassinated by the Israelis with a, with a bomb. Uh, his uncle was killed in 1956 during the atrocity I, I, I documented. And he told us that he was only seven years old or nine years old at the time. And he told us, you know, at that point, the, the Israelis had planted hatred in his heart. And so if you want to understand why people feel the way they do, not to condone anything, but to understand it, you have to sort of examine what uh, the, their trauma, just like we try to understand the trauma of, of the Jewish people you know, through the Holocaust and, and other pogroms. You want to understand the basis of that historical trauma. And that's what I that's why I felt the book was important to do. One of the most I felt compelling images was the way that you portrayed the refugee camps and uh, and just showing that progression that there are certain things that you can do, I think, in a graphic novel that it's hard to do just through photographs necessarily where you showed the progression from tents into kind of built up structures into the towers of structures of the refugee camps today. And I wonder, can you talk about uh, that imagery and the refugees that you met and how you decided to document uh, that through your illustrations? Well, I, I went to, um, the UNRWA, that's the UN agency that works with Palestinian refugees. I went, I went to their archives in Gaza City, and they basically gave me copies of the photographs I wanted, which were of the camps at certain periods. So I was trying, I was using archival material to try to replicate those the camps with the way they looked in my drawings. And you're right. I mean, the camps, the refugees started out basically digging holes in the ground and putting blankets over them. Eventually, tents were brought in by the Quakers, and then they would build like mud structures, and finally some housing was was created for them. Very modest uh, rooms were created for them. And little by little, those, those, you know, developed. People were there for such a long period of time that, of course, with the population expanding, they had to uh, create more rooms and put rooms on top of rooms. And by the time of the Oslo Accord, Accords, people thought, okay, if peace has come, then we will really invest our money into building more permanent structures. So, so that's what you see now. Camp, camps look much like the towns they often are neighboring because people decided, well, we're here for a long period of time. Let's just build like everyone else is building. So so in some ways, you when you go there, you often cannot distinguish between the camps and the towns uh, that they abut. Uh, so that's why you know when what we're seeing now, 
people are returning back to the tents because they're, as you mentioned, so much of the housing is being destroyed. Right. And uh, the population being pushed uh, into Rafah, where uh, I think it's now up to 1.4 million people are now uh, gathered in Rafah and around that area and in the southernmost part of Gaza. Do you think that we are going to see a similar refugee crisis to 1948 uh, with all of this population displacement into the southern part of Gaza? Well, it's hard to know what's going to happen. I think it seems, I mean, there have been Israeli politicians and leaders who have been quite clear in the last few months about wanting to expel the Palestinians. In other words, to bring the Nakba of 1948 to its logical conclusion and just remove all Palestinians from the territories. And probably not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank. Now, will that happen? You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure what's going to happen. I mean, they've been pushed to the very southern fringes and they cannot go further without the, the next step is the Egyptian is over the Egyptian border. Basically, Egypt said they will not accept that uh, as. As the horrors of, of what's going on in Gaza become are, are clearer and clearer, I'm not sure if Israel can actually get away with what it might want to do but let's see i mean i, I think I'm, I'm still at that stage of you know to remind myself that i can still be surprised right and now we're seeing the uh, international court of justice ruling uh that that yes it is plausible that this is a, a genocidal action and calling on israel to to cease uh it's it's incessant daily bombardment of uh, of the Palestinian civilian population and now I I I wonder uh, do you think that is going to make an impact as someone who has studied this has been uh, a part of it for for many years you know it's hard to know about impacts because uh, the inter international uh, Court of Justice didn't call for an immediate ceasefire. They did call, they did use the word genocide, possible genocide. You know, they were they were definitely skating around the word quite a bit. And they've asked Israel to refrain from all those things that uh, could lead or are genocidal acts. Um, it's an important legal case. And you can build a future legal argument, I think, about what has happened. Uh, but does it have any immediate effect? Well, no, because the International Court of Justice has no police arm. And I think the Americans would try to protect the Israelis from any action that could, could take place. I mean, if, if they had told the Israelis to cease what they were doing emphatically, uh, it didn't mean it doesn't mean necessarily that Israel would have stopped, but I think it's an important legal step for that legal part. Just like it's important for the Palestinian journalists to be documenting what's going on, it's important for people to be on the street to protest what's going on and to put pressure on our so-called representatives. It's important for artists to do their work. So it's just one. It's one facet. I wish uh, 
I, I think there are Palestinians that are disappointed, but I think the, the ones who are legally minded are thinking, okay, this is how we can start to build a future case. It's hard to document and, and look back when it's an ongoing thing and you're in the middle of it as, as is happening right now. And I wanted to ask you um, about your what what led you to get uh, involved in particular in this issue? I know I have read a, a really interesting piece that you did or, or um, that you drew about uh, the people coming from mainly from Africa into Malta, where you're from, um, and immigrating and having uh, to experience the the struggle of of uh, of coming into a hostile land when uh, they were trying to seek refuge. And I wonder if that um, background led you to uh, kind of the the social justice journalism that you that you do, that you engage in, um, and particularly in in places like Palestine. Well, uh, as far as the Palestinian issue goes, I didn't really begin to understand it until I was already out of university with a degree in journalism. And around the time of the uh, bombing of Lebanon in the early 1980s by the Israelis, and then the Israeli invasion into Lebanon to destroy the PLO, they went all the way up to Beirut. And there were two, there were, there were massacres in camps there in Beirut, Sabra Shatila. And th that was committed by Israeli, the Lebanese allies of the Israelis, the Christian phalangists, while the Israelis put a cordon around the camps so no one really could get out. That's when I something went off in my head and I thought, I didn't, I always thought the Palestinians were terrorists. Now, what's going on here? And it made me really begin to question myself and what I'd learned over time because I I realized I had grown up thinking Palestinians were terrorists. And I began to sort of dig into that. Why did I think that? And I realized the only time I ever heard the word Palestinian in a news broadcast was when the word terrorism was put alongside it. I never really learned what was be what had gone on. I didn't really understand why there were Palestinian refugees in Lebanon and why they were firing rockets into Israel. Because you, you only heard things from an Israeli perspective, basically. So little by little, I decided to start educating myself. And it was difficult back then. I mean, there weren't many resources available, but there were a few great books. Noam Chomsky's The Fateful Triangle, uh, the Question of Palestine by Edward Said. And I read everything I could about the issue. And finally, I felt sort of so outraged, really outraged by what I wasn't, what I hadn't comprehended before. Outraged because I had a journalism degree and I realized that actually objective American style journalism had really given me the wrong impression of what had been going on there. So in a way, I went to Palestine as sort of a penance. Like, I need to figure, I would like to talk to Palestinians about what's going on. Initially, I thought, oh, I will just um, draw human rights reports. I'll take something from Al-Haq, which is a Palestinian human rights organization, and I'll draw those things up. And then I realized, you know, that's really dry, legalistic, sort of deposition type 
material. I figured if I really want to see Palestinians, I need to see them as more than just victims. I need to see them as people and get to meet them and let and just listen to what they have to say. And that's sort of eventually what impelled me to go. I mean, it was almost like a compulsion. I had to go. Right. Uh, I just I know we're almost out of time. I just want to um, to to ask one final question. The reason that I felt so compelled to talk with you specifically was footnotes in Gaza and the images that you portrayed in that book. Uh, when I saw what happened in December with the uh, rounding up of young men in northern Gaza, in Beit Hanun in particular, the stripping down of men and, and boys and taking them into the stadium. I just felt like I was back in that situation that uh, you portrayed in 1956 when 111 people were killed, men were killed on, on a single day. Did you see that those parallels when you came across those images of of Beit Hanun? Yes, I mean, uh, the way people were sort of packed together, uh, bent down with their hands on their heads, uh, the, the, way, the way public spaces, schools and stadiums are used to gather people in groups. I mean, there's only so many ways you can be an oppressor, basically. And there's only, only so many ways to do it. So you just, you revisit the way it was done before. So, I mean, the images resonated with the ones I'd drawn about 1956, but I mean, sadly, it wasn't a surprise. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to leave it there. But uh, is there any uh, place that people can, can find your work, uh, particularly Palestine, the graphic novel, and uh, footnotes in Gaza? Where can they look for you online? Uh, well, actually, um, today, I don't know when this, when this is airing, but today I'm starting to release uh, some of my drawings and thoughts about what's going on in Gaza through the, the Comics Journal website. So that's going to be up. I'm actually, I, I feel compelled to, to, to be, you know, doing things in my own way about what's going on. And I'm, I finally got it together to do it. So you can find things online by uh, by me uh, in, in the in the next few weeks at the, the Comics Journal website. As far as my books go, um, they've been sold out, uh, you know, because of the war, and people want to find out what's happened before. So uh, they they're being reprinted now. My my major books, but I think it might be hard to find them at this point. We'll definitely link to that uh, on this episode on the Kibu website. And if you are interested in looking uh, at some of the new work that Joe Sacco is putting out about what's happening in Gaza today, it's the Comics Journal website, tcj.com. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I am, again, honored to have Joe Sacco, the uh, amazing graphic journalist, with us uh, this morning. And I just want to thank you so much for, for being with us and for sharing uh, your insights. It was, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. This is Jenka Soderberg with KBU Radio. After 
targeting emergency responders after blowing up the water tanks and fuel after bombing all the hospitals and ambulances after blowing up the mosques and the schools after bombing all the camps north and south the camps of new and former refugees after fighter jets with bunker buster missiles after navy ships shelling from the seas now they'll take a little break from slaughtering the children then they'll do it all over again after bombing all the solar panels after blasting apart every street after leveling apartment blocks turning them to dust when might they think the bombing is complete after blowing up the churches and the parliament after killing families in their cars after killing families walking down the road with nothing in between them and the stars now they'll take a little break from slaughtering the children and they'll do it all over again After bombing their own prisoners Beneath the missiles dying there alone Who knows what might be their plan of attack As they kill off so many of their own after keeping food and water from the people After making sure all the injured die Along with all the babies in the incubators As everywhere the world wonders why As they'll take a little break from slaughtering the children And they'll do it all over again Targeting emergency responders After blowing up the water tanks and fuel